Jesus also told them another story. Once a man had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Give me my share of the property. So the father divided the property between his two sons. Not long after that, the younger son packed up everything he owned and left for a foreign country, where he wasted all his money in wild living. He had spent everything when a bad famine spread through that whole land. Soon, he had nothing to eat. He went to work for a man in that country, and the man sent him out to take care of his pigs. He would have been glad to eat what the pigs were eating, but no one gave him a thing. Finally, he came to his senses and said, My father's workers had plenty to eat, and here I am starving to death. The younger son got up and started back to his father. But when he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt sorry for him. He ran to his son and hugged and kissed him. The son said, Father, I've sinned against God in heaven and against you. I'm no longer good enough to be called your son. But his father said to his servants, Hurry and bring the best clothes and put them on him. Give him a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Get the best calf and prepare it so we can eat and celebrate. This son of mine was dead but has now come back to life. He was lost and has now been found. And they began to celebrate. There are two questions about preaching that I'm asked from time to time. The first is this. Why do you usually have three main points in your sermon? Well, I have to take you back to my first year in Spurgeon's College training for the ministry and our lecturer, Stanley Dewhurst, who was talking about preparing sermons. And he said this, why three main points? Riley said four main points is too many and two main points are not enough. I didn't think that was a very good answer, to be honest. But uh, I think the real reason is that if you usually use three main points, when you announce that you've come to the third point, the congregation know that the sermon is nearly over. (laughs) And the second question I'm asked is, where do you get ideas for sermons? Well... Many, many sources come, but there's one I want to refer to this morning because it's where I came by this morning's sermon. Our minister, Tim, was uh, preaching on 1 Peter chapter 2. And while he was preaching, I had my Bible open in front of me. And sometimes a three-point sermon absolutely hits you in the eye. And I noticed in this chapter from which Tim was preaching, the word like appeared three times. So that's why I've called my sermon this morning, Three Likes, based on three verses in 1 Peter chapter 2. Here's the first verse. Like 
newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up. And the key word there is the word crave. I want to tell you about an experience I had also at Spurgeon's College when I was a student there. Every two years, six of our students exchanged with six students from a Church of England theological college in Lincoln for a week. Now, the uh, theological college in Lincoln was what one might call medium to high church. But one of the highlights of the visit, as we tried to get used to a very different environment, was a day trip to Callum College in Nottinghamshire, which was an Anglo-Catholic theological college, very, very high church. And when the lunchtime came, the student who was was in charge of our visit said, I've looked at the menu, and it's quite a good menu today. I shuddered at the thought what a bad menu might be like. But uh, when we sat down and we were expected to eat in total silence because the college not only was very, very high Anglo-Catholic, it was attached to a monastery. We ate in silence and what we were served was half a slice of cheese on toast. Well, I've never craved food so much in my life. And then when I'd consumed my half a slice of cheese on toast and so had uh, everybody else on my table, I suddenly noticed that the Kellum students, some of them at least, were getting up and walking to the kitchen. And they were coming back out of the kitchen with plates piled high with vegetables. Now you can imagine that I as a visitor thought, what would it look like if I joined this queue in the kitchen? I think it would look rather forward. So I sat there and felt hungry. But boy, did I crave nourishment. And that's what Peter is saying we should do. That we should crave pure spiritual nourishment. Now, there's a very interesting new translation of this verse. Some people translate it like newborn babes crave pure milk of the word. Now, that's a perfectly legitimate translation of the original Greek word. And what he may refer to in 1 Peter chapter 2 is a couple of verses at the end of chapter 1 which read like this, the living and enduring word of God. And this is the word that was preached to you. And then he uses this Greek word logos again in the adjective logikon, And that's the one that was translated spiritual in some translations and is translated of the word in others. Both are legitimate, but I have to say I prefer the one that says the nourishment comes from the word of God. Now in the days in which the Apostle Peter was writing, the word of God was a preached word, a verbal word. They didn't have the New Testament that we have now. 
But that preached word was written down in the book that now we call the New Testament. And so the first thing that Peter is encouraging us to do is to seek nourishment from the Bible, the word of God. How do we do that? Well, obviously through Bible-based sermons, that is one way, and through daily Bible reading. And I know that many people here use daily Bible reading notes, and that's excellent. One of the most popular is Every Day with Jesus. One that I'm using at the moment is called Encounter with God from Scripture Union, and I can highly recommend that one as well. How about setting yourself, if you've never done this before, of reading through a whole book of the New Testament? Particularly, it's good to read through a whole gospel, one of Matthew, Mark, Luke or John, and get an overall picture of the life and the ministry of Jesus. Another way is by uh, uh, reading commentaries on the Bible. Now this is really pushing you rather hard. One of my favourite series of commentaries is this one called The Bible Speaks Today. And it's very, very highly to be recommended. But it's tough going and uh, you need to be ambitious to uh, learn the scriptures that way. When babies cry, they mean a lot of things. But one of the things they often mean is, I'm hungry. And when they are hungry, they want to be satisfied. And woe betide you if you don't do it quickly. We've had three babies in our family now, all grown up. But they cried when they were hungry. And Peter wants us to be like that as Christians. Like babies, craving to know more of God's word in scripture. Now, here is the second like, like stones. Peter writes, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. And the key word here is living. Because, of course, Peter is deliberately using a contradiction in terms. Stones are cold and lifeless. But because he's describing the church as a building composed of people, then he calls the members of the church, Christians, living stones. One of the most lovely things that happened to me as a minister was when I became the minister of Halston Baptist Church in South Cambridgeshire. The church didn't have a manse. It had been sold many years before. And uh, the lay pastor who preceded me had been living in his own home. And first of all, for the first five years, the church provided rented accommodation for us. And then they saved up for building a manse. And they built it right next to the church, which was very convenient indeed. And we hired a builder for this process who arranged delivery, all the things that were needed, and delivery after delivery arrived. Hundreds, maybe even thousands of bits and pieces, all different, but all having their proper place. And when that manse was built, it really was a very attractive building. 
Now that's what Peter is saying here. All sorts of different people come together to form the church. What he says about the church of Christ worldwide is also true of the local church. We are all different, but we all contribute to making the church an attractive building for Christ. And the church of Christ is built in two ways. First of all, obviously, when people become Christians and are added to the fellowship, to those who already belong. But secondly, the church is built when Christian believers exercise the different gifts that God has given to us. And there are many different kinds of gifts. There are speaking gifts, there are administrative gifts, there are practical gifts, there are caring gifts, all sorts of other gifts. And what we offer by the gifts that God has given to us differ according to our personalities. Maybe we have a natural ability, maybe a spiritual gift, maybe a personal interest, maybe an individual experience of life. And we bring these things into the service of Christ and we dedicate them to Christ so that we can serve him in the church and enable it to be built up. Christ is the cornerstone of this building. And what Peter wants to emphasise in this passage is that that is the very basis of all we have to do and all we are as Christians, that Christ comes first. We are based on him. The whole church is based on him. And for his glory, we are building the church. And different people contribute in different ways. I believe there are four things above all that make a church an attractive building for Christ. The four elements are these. Vibrant worship, evangelistic activity, social concern and pastoral care. You may want to add others, but I think those are the four core features of a church which is being built up for Christ. And now the final point. Like sheep. Peter writes, you were like sheep going astray, but now you've returned to the shepherd. Wonderful words. And the key word there is the word returned. During my pastorate in Yardley in Birmingham, a young couple appeared and asked if I would conduct their wedding service. Now we had a very attractive new church building there and all sorts of people who didn't attend the church came and asked for their weddings to be conducted there. And uh, I was happy to do so uh, and hoped that as a result some of them might actually start coming to the church regularly. It's a thing that many ministers are faced with and uh, sadly not all of them In fact, very few of them come back. But in this case, a young couple arrived and they asked me to conduct their wedding and they were different because they were truly seeking a spiritual home. He was in his late 20s and had attended a Crusaders Bible class when he was much younger. 
She was in her mid-thirties and was a lapsed Catholic. And they really wanted to get back to the Lord. And it was a joy to be able to conduct their wedding and then to conduct their baptism and then to receive them into church membership. People do return to the Lord after wandering. And this is what Peter is talking about here. Sadly, we have to say, some Christians do leave off attending church. And some even abandon the Christian faith altogether. But, and this is the great good news, that some do return to faith and to the church. If this is a typical church congregation this morning... I guarantee that there will be some here today about whom that is true. Praise the Lord that you are back with him. And what does the Lord do with those who have wandered off and come back? Does he wag a finger at them and rebuke them? No, he doesn't. Like the father in the parable of the prodigal son, he welcomes back those who have gone astray. And if this is a typical church congregation here this morning, there will be some here who are concerned about a loved one or a close friend who has wandered away from church and from the Lord. Please don't rebuke them, but keep praying for them. Premier Christianity has a website and um, they recently sent me a report about someone called Douglas they were particularly impressed with his testimony because as a young man he went to church but in his teens, particularly his late teens as he studied science more and more, he became disillusioned with uh, the Christian faith and with church and walked out altogether. But then as his scientific studies continued and got deeper and deeper, he became, became very impressed with the fine-tuning of the universe, with the special nature of the earth, and with the origin and complexity of life and living things. And he returned to the Lord and to faith and church. So that's another example of people returning to the Lord. And as Peter says, it's great when people return to the shepherd having wandered like sheep. Well, here we are with our three likes, like babies, like stones, like sheep. And the question that Peter would want to ask us this morning is, what are you like? What am I like? Craving to know more of the written word? If you are, praise the Lord. Alive and active in the service of Christ, if you are, praise the Lord. Secure now in your faith and your commitment to the shepherd, praise the Lord. I trust we can say amen to at least one of those, if not more, if not all three. And as we come to the Lord's table at the end of our next hymn, let's renew our dedication to the one who said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep.